Welcome to the CMC Podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to be a doer of the Word. Today's message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Tim Brooks. We're going to talk about the events of Holy Week, the week that changed the whole world just over 2,000 years ago. What's tragic, what's tragic is the last 30 or 40 years, God being removed from our consciousness. God being removed from our society. You know, whether you were a Christian or not, the whole world understood what Christmas was about. All my life, growing up, and some of you in here remember this, I never heard the word spring break. I never heard the word spring break. I don't know where that happened that now schools are on spring break. There was no spring break. We took off a week for Holy Week. And we were on Easter break. I never heard spring break until just a few years ago. Now, you're hearing it more and more and more. Schools are out for winter break. I never heard winter break. We're out for Christmas. We're out for the celebration of Jesus' birth. We're out in the spring for a week to celebrate Easter, his resurrection. All my life growing up, all of school was out during Holy Week. There was no thought of going to school. There was no thought of playing sporting events. You stopped, and there was an honor, a celebration of Jesus' birth, and there was an honor, a respect, a celebration of his death, burial, and resurrection through Easter. Schools closed for the week each spring for the celebration of Holy Week, Easter break. Well, with that being removed... No one talking about Holy Week. It's alarming. I just talked to Stacy, one of our teachers, and she was talking about Good Friday, and one of the kids in a Christian school said, what's Good Friday? In a, and we're not talking about heathens. We're talking about Christian kids don't know what Good Friday is. We're not going to have that in this church. The kids in this church are going to grow up knowing the historical facts of Jesus' birth, his life, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. The two most impactful events in the whole world, in world history, are Jesus' birth and his resurrection. As we look at the coming of this week beginning Holy Week, going into next Sunday Easter, we'll talk about some of this more next week in detail, but there have been a lot of religious leaders a lot of religious leaders' birthdays have been celebrated. There have been a lot of religious leaders that did miracles. There's been a lot of religious leaders that were inspiring teachers. There's been a lot of religious leaders that had followers. And all religious leaders have died. But zero, nada, no other, no other, did you hear me? No other religious leader has an empty tomb that they celebrate. That, don't tell me that all religions are the same. Leading us into Easter, I want to make sure that our church, and we're going to talk about this. Well, Tim, you preached on this a few years ago. Come back in a few years, and I'm going to preach this very same message again. This is the week referred to over the last couple of thousand years as Holy Week. Holy Week. When you came in today, you were passed out an outline of this week. 
if you didn't get this outline, I want to make sure that you go get one on your way out because this is going to be your homework for the week. This is going to be our assignment. I want to go over this with us briefly today so you will know what you're going to read. But everybody in this church, parents, I want you with your kids in the morning. Grandparents, send this out to your kids. I want everybody in our church tomorrow morning reading Monday morning scripture. Tuesday morning before y'all leave the house, I want you to read the events of Tuesday. I want our church knowing what happened. Let's get started with today and go over this so you'll know what you're going to be reading this week. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. This is today. This is Palm Sunday. This is the event that we're going to celebrate, that we are celebrating, that we are remembering today. Chapter 21, verse 1. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to a town on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a colt tied there with his colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. The others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was at the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is, Jesus was on the earth for 33 years. This right here today, Palm Sunday, this was the very first time in Jesus' earthly walk that he allowed people to praise and honor him. This was the proclamation of Jesus being king. Now, it's vital that you see the significance of this, and, and there's so many things we could talk about. Not all, but, but most all kings, most all kings rode a white horse. Most rode a white stallion. That was the representation of a king. So it's very interesting that Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, a colt of a donkey. First of all, verse 5, this is fulfilling the prophecy of hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Zechariah 9.9. Over and over and over, Jesus told them, my kingdom is not of this world. So his entrance on this donkey backed up what he had been saying. Not on a white stallion, but on a donkey, a beast of burden, a servant to mankind. There's a whole lot that's being said as Jesus is riding this donkey into town. Now, I don't have time to teach on this, but I'm going to for a few minutes anyway. I can't read over this story because I'm a rancher. This is what I do. I breed and raise horses and cattle. So when I read this, this means a lot to me that may not mean to you. 
But for that colt to be tied to that post, we're going to have to back up at least some three years because some rancher had to get a mare. Some rancher had to find a friend that had a stallion or have a stallion. Then he has to breed that mare to that stallion. Now, the gestation period, it's what you call it in animals, or the pregnancy period of a horse or a donkey is 11 months. So, it took time to mare, get with a stallion, however long it took to get her in foal. So, from that time forward, we're 11 months from this colt being born. You don't jump on the back of a newborn colt. Its bones are not strong enough. You wait 18 months, most often at least two years before a colt is physically, structurally strong enough to carry the weight of a man. Okay, now let's back up again. So we got to find a mare and we got to find a stallion. We've got to breed those. We got to wait 11 months. A baby's been born. Now we've got to wait two years before that baby's strong enough. Three, at least three years before Jesus needed that colt to be tied to that post, God had been working. Here's what I got to tell you. What's going to happen in your life this next week may catch you off guard. God's been working three years to get the answer to your need. He's been working three years to get the situations all lined up so that he can see you through what he's called you to do. Don't ever be caught off guard. Don't ever be, oh no, what am I going to do now? God, before you even thought about this, before this cult was even thought about being needed, God had been working, getting things lined up to meet the need. What a message. When we read that, what does that do in your heart when you read a cult was tied to that post on the day they needed it? Wow, God's working way ahead of time to get your needs met in your life. Verse 3, God uses obedient, willing, submissive people. Now, you and I just read right over this, but a colt, a donkey tied to that post may not mean anything to you today in this day and time, but here's what I want you to know. We're talking about a GMC three-quarter ton, zero miles. Are you hearing what I'm saying? At this day and time, this colt was everything to those people. You were really somebody if you had a donkey. Most people had to carry all their stuff on their own back. If you had a donkey, I'm talking about you had a brand new pickup. This thing's got zero miles on it. All right, now, now get this. This is just a big deal to me. Verse 3, if anybody asks, just say, oh, the Lord needs it. Verse 3, the Lord needs it, look at this word, and immediately. Are you kidding me? Hey, what are you doing in my truck? What are you doing in my pickup? The Lord needs it. Oh. Now put yourself in this story. How immediately are you and I willing to do what the Lord needs? So much to talk about here. Because so many people feel like they're not in the ministry because they don't preach and they don't sing. I'm not in the ministry. Look here. You've you got to see this. Somebody just bought a mare. Somebody just bred her. 
This day, somebody just led this colt down and tied it to the post. See, too often we don't understand what the ministry is. We don't see what being in the ministry is because we've so, we've so put it. I mean, if you're not a preacher, if you're not leading worship, then you're not in the ministry. Come on. You're in the ministry if you're breeding a mare to a stallion. You're in the ministry and you're going to make possible. Don't ever underestimate what you do. Don't ever underestimate what you do day in and day out of your life. To this guy, this was just another boring day of leading a donkey down and tying it to a post. But in God's scheme of things, you'll never realize the importance of what you're doing in your Monday life. Never, ever consider yourself as not being in full-time ministry. And don't ever underestimate what you're doing. Today, all over this building, I'm overwhelmed. The Lord needs somebody in nursery. And immediately we got volunteers back there. The Lord needs somebody in coffee shop. And immediately the place is full of volunteers. The Lord needs somebody on lights, on sound, up in our second floor, up behind this stage. We got a crew of people running the live stream. See, the Lord needs somebody running the live stream. The Lord needs somebody on camera. The Lord needs somebody greeters. The Lord, are you kidding me? all over this place and immediately immediately people step up immediately what can i do where can i be involved let me tell you something the lord needs to get an encouraging word to your co-worker tomorrow who's going through a difficult time the lord has need of getting your neighbor to a doctor's appointment and there's nobody to drive them there see the lord has need of somebody in our concession stand the lord has need of somebody to coach our kids ball team the lord has need of somebody to run the scoreboard while we're developing these young people well god I, there's just nothing for me to do i'm not in the ministry you got to look at how the lord has need of people and never ever relegate the ministry to somebody who stands up and preaches the Sunday morning sermon. Every single one of you are in full-time ministry each and every day of your life. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. There's just so much in Scripture for us to see, and, 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 and I got to move on, but I, I sure would like to talk some more about this. Maybe I will. Monday, let's read on. Monday, yeah, yeah, here's what I've done in my Bible. And for those of you who have been in this church for a long time, your Bible probably looks like mine. But in my Bible, right here, I've got a line drawn across the page, and it says Monday right there. I've got a line drawn across the page, and it says Tuesday right there. I've got a line drawn across the page, and it says Wednesday. It says Thursday. So in my Bible, as I read, I can quickly identify what happens on what day of the week? All right, we're going into Monday. You're going to read tomorrow in your homework assignment where Jesus cleansed the temple. He cleared the temple. The temple, he cleaned up. Whoa, hold on. My, my house has been turned into a den of thieves here. And he overturned the tables. And, and you'll read this story. God in the old covenant lived in the temple. He didn't live in people's hearts because people were full of sin. 
And so God and sin don't coexist. So God lived in the temple in the Holy of Holies with a big veil around it and no man went in behind there. We weren't allowed in and out of the Holy of Holies. God lived in the temple and this really concerned Jesus, and you're going to read about this on Monday, that we had turned the temple into a den of thieves. Now, in the New Covenant... God doesn't change his standards. He only changes his address. If you're going to mail God a letter in the Old Covenant, it would have been 101 Temple Lane. If you're going to mail him a, new, an address, uh, if you're going to mail him a letter to his new address, it's 702 Human Heart. See, he moved from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, but he didn't change his standards. He didn't change the way he wants his house. So go to 1 Corinthians real quick. Chapter 3, verse 16, it reads, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are his temple. Chapter 6, verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. It's my body. I can do what I want to. It's my body. Well, except it's not your body. You were bought with a price. Everybody reading this? No, it's not your body, and you can't stick in it anything you want to. You were bought with the price. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You honor God with your body. When we see Jesus cleaning the temple, we've got to understand we are the temple, and our bodies have to represent the dwelling place of God, and our bodies can't become a den of thieves where all we're concerned about is money and the stuff that money buys. That's what Jesus is teaching us right here. Our priority in chapter 21, verse 14, those that are blind can't see. The lame are crippled in their walk. We want to see the blind and the lame healed. And that's what happens in here each and every week. People have been blind. They can't see the truth of God. They can't see the message of God. They can't see God's plan for their life. And they come in here and the blind eyes are open. People are limping. They're crippled. Their past life has them limping through this life. And you can come to find out you have been set free. You're not the same person you used to be. What happened to you years ago has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And so now you're healed of your limping. See, we, that's what we want to see happen in our daily lives. People are being healed. Verse 17, Monday ends. Tuesday. On Tuesday, you're going to read chapter 21, 18 through chapter 26, 4. Jesus is teaching as he walks with them. Now, I always am drawn to these times in Jesus's everyday life. We all, we, we just want to put the things of God on a church service on a Sunday morning 
for a 25-minute teaching of the Word. They're just going down the road. They're going from point A to point B. They're just going down the road of the life, and Jesus is talking to them. Jesus is teaching them. Teaching takes place when you're on the job. Teaching takes place when you're with a co-worker. Teaching takes place when you're in your truck and you're driving out of town with a co-worker and you're sharing with them and you're talking about the things of God. Teaching takes place not just on a Sunday morning. It happens throughout a normal day. I always say this here. Our Sunday morning services are nothing more than a huddle. This is a huddle. Time out. Everybody in here, let's huddle up. This is not the game. This is not Christian living. This is a huddle. Now, here in a few minutes, we're going to break this huddle, and then we're going to go out and do the things of God. Then we're going to go out and be a light to a lost world. Then we're going to go out and be in full-time ministry. Here, not too long from now, a few hours from now, it'll be Wednesday night, time out. Everybody gather up real quick. Huddle, how are we doing? Okay, we need we're All right, let's go. Ready to break. Ooh, boom. Back out here we go again. See, see, so don't like, don't think that you are a football player when you stand in the huddle. That's just the huddle. Don't think you're a Christian when you sit in church. This is just the huddle. On Tuesday, chapter 21, you're going to start reading. This begins the conflict with the religious leaders. Things start brewing here. There's so much to see here as Jesus on Tuesday started teaching parables. Paul taught on three of these parables just this last Wednesday night. Uh, during Holy Week on this day, you're going to read about the parable of the two sons, the parable of the evil farmer, the cornerstone of the building, the king preparing for a wedding for his son. You're going to read about the parable of the taxes. After these parables, then Jesus goes into explaining and teaching about his resurrection, about the most important commandment, the Messiah and his relationship with King David. At the end of chapter 25, we're going to see the criticism of the religious leaders begin to build and all of this start pushing them to action toward the end of this week. It all began, and, and Paul talked about this Wednesday night, it all began with the question of his authority. That, that's what, let me just tell you, people are okay with a prophet, people are okay with a teacher, people are okay with a religious leader, but it was the authority of Jesus. It was the authority of Jesus. Whoa, whoa, clearly he's not just a prophet. Clearly, he's not just one of many teachers. Clearly, he's not just one of many religious leaders because he was one who walked in authority. And in chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth was given to me, and then he transferred that authority to you and I. So we're not just a member of another religious sect. We're people who walk in authority. My emotions don't tell me what to do. I'm in authority over them. I get up in the morning, I say, I'm going to have a fun day. I'm going to have a great day. I get to the office, I get a phone call that tells me what I ordered six weeks ago now has been back ordered for another six weeks. I already decided to be happy before the phone call. See, I walk in authority over my moods. I walk in authority over my mouth. I walk in authority over my anger. See, you, Jesus transferred that authority to us, and that's what separates us from other world religions. Authority. Authority. 
Jesus walked in authority, and he transferred that to us. Tuesday, chapter 26, we read the plot to capture and to kill Jesus. You're going to read Wednesday morning, Matthew 26, 6 through 16. Jesus goes to Bethany, the home of Simon. He's eating and he's resting. And Jesus talks about his body being prepared for burial while Judas is planning and plans the betrayal scheme. Thursday, you're going to read the preparation for the Passover. The Passover celebration, the breaking of the bread and the eating. Now we refer to that as the Last Supper, but it was the celebration of the Passover meal. Thursday night, you're going to go on in your reading on Thursday. Thursday night, you're going, well, let's just read that real quick. Chapter 26, verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter, Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Several years ago, Terry and I led two different trips to Israel. And it's very interesting. Some of y'all were with us right here on that trip. What was very interesting, and I, ne- I didn't know this, olive trees live for thousands of years, not just a couple hundred like some of our trees around here. Olive trees live for thousands of years. And some of us right here today were in that olive grove leaning up against the trees that Jesus and his disciples were leaning up, those very trees. We were in that olive grove. We went on just a little bit further. There was a big rock where Jesus then went over to pray. There's a shrine built around that rock where you can go in there. But I've been, I've been right there. I've been right here. And this is key that you see this. Verse 39. The manhood side of Jesus. I don't want to do this. Now, we are pretty aware and I'm going to say most everybody is aware or, or pretty conscious of Jesus being God. Well, that was Jesus. Well, that was Jesus, God's son. So that was well, we're aware of Jesus being God. But we don't often relate to Jesus being a man. And for you and I, you've got to grasp this. You've got to grasp this. First of all, man could not pay the price and the penalty for sin. We only tried for 4,000 years and we couldn't do it. We cannot keep the law, live perfect, do right. Mankind could not pay the price of sin. It was going to have to be God that did this. The only problem with that is it could not be God that paid the price of sin because God didn't know it. So God can't pay a price that he didn't owe, but man couldn't pay it because he owed it. So we've got a real crisis here. And that's why we were where we were living life under the old covenant for 4,000 years of human history. 
until the Holy Spirit overshadowed a virgin and she became pregnant. Josh has got our youth group right now. We got some 40 kids and they're in our church in Missouri. And his spirit right now is just coming over me. So I don't want to start crying like Josh always does. So I'm going to hold it together. Josh is not here today and I'm not going to cry like he does. I'm a man and I don't like a bunch of crying going on. But boy, this pollen is bad in this building right here. I can tell you that. A virgin overshadows a young woman. And what we have is all man, but all God. The only person in the history of the world that was capable of doing what Jesus did. As I said, we are all pretty in touch with Jesus being God. But this passage right here puts us in connection with Jesus being man. Read this with me. His soul was crushed with grief, anguished, distressed. I don't want to do this. This is not what I want to do. See, in every way he was tempted like we have been tempted. He was a man. He experienced and dealt with all of the feelings of life that you and I deal with in our lives. But look at this, and you're going to read this on Thursday, yet not my will be done. This is what separates us as Christians. I don't want to do this. I get that. I just wanted to leave her. I get that. I just, Tim, I just wanted to punch him in the face. I get that. I wanted to give him a good cussing. I don't doubt that at all. Yet not my will. Well, Tim, I was born this way. I don't, I don't, I understand that fully. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, that's where we become as Christians. All right, Thursday night, it gets late. You're going to read verse 26 through 57. You're going to read the home of Caiaphas. This mock trial, they, bid it, they beat him, they spit on him. Peter's outside, denies Jesus, the cock crows. Peter runs off weeping bitterly. They throw Jesus in a dungeon there in that house. Now, for m many of the houses in Israel at this time, they didn't have the building materials that we had. Many of the houses over there were built out of solid rock, big rock boulders. Many of the houses were chiseled into a rock mountain, so they were just chi what we would call a cave. That's what many houses are like. So there are several of us that have been in Caiaphas' house. I, we've been right there. I'm in that house. I've been in that house. That dungeon is a round hole in solid rock that they chiseled out. We've looked right in that dungeon. Well, I've been right there. They would let down these sheets, put it under the prisoner's arms, and pull him up out of that dungeon that would be full of mud and human excrement. And Jesus was thrown down into that dungeon. He was left there until they pulled him back out. We've been right there. I've seen this place firsthand. All right, on Friday, let's move on. I'm trying to hurry. You think I'm not. But on Friday, you're going to read chapter 27. They pulled Jesus out of that hole. And we've got the trial before Pilate. Judas tries to turn this 
crowd around. He tries to turn this event around. He can't do it, so he goes out and hangs himself. When you really know Jesus, you just can't deny him and live with yourself in peace or in joy. Judas goes out and hangs himself. Pilate releases Barabbas. He flogs Jesus, turns him over to the Jewish leaders to be crucified. Let's go to chapter 27, verse 45. On Friday of this week, now everybody follow me, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're in Holy Week. Now we're at Friday of this coming week. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Friday at 3 o'clock, you might want to set a reminder on your phone. Friday at 3 o'clock, here's what happened. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, le sabbathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus shouted out again, he released his spirit, and then verse 51. If you don't know what your favorite verse in the Bible is, your favorite verse in the whole Bible is verse 51. Make sure you know your favorite verse. Some of you thought you had a favorite verse, but you've been wrong all this time. Here's your favorite verse. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain, oh my gosh, in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Verse 51 is your favorite verse in the whole Bible. That, temp, that curtain in that temple that separated you from the presence of God was torn. Now you can go boldly into the presence of God. Now you can walk boldly into the presence of God. Jesus tore that veil. All right. Verse 57, Joseph of Arimathea negotiates for the body. They prepare the body. It was like, for better illustration, a mummy wrap is what they did around the body. Place them in the tomb. They roll the, whole, uh, the stone across the tomb. And in Saturday, chapter 27, verse 62, here's your reading for Saturday. The next day, on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is the last day of the week. It's on Saturday. The Sabbath, the last day of the week, on Saturday... The leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was alive. After three days, I'll rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb with the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone that he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we're going to be worse off than we were at first. So Pilate replied, Take the guards, secure it best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to guard it. Okay. Jesus crucified on Friday. Now, we're going to get to it in just a minute. He's going to be resurrected on Sunday. So for three days, Jesus is in the heart of the earth over the last day of the week, over the Sabbath. What's he doing? Stripping Satan of the keys. A battle like no video battle game has ever been portrayed took place in the heart of the earth, and Jesus defeated Satan. All right, verse 65. Take the guards and secure it. They sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. 
in the history of the world, we have executed serious murderers. We have executed mass murderers. We've executed serial killers. But at no time in history have we ever buried one of those people and then set a guard unit around with their guns pointing down at the grave to keep him from coming back out. Now think about this. Think about this. And think about it all the way through. Okay, first of all, in the Christmas plays, you've got older kids that can remember speaking lines. You've got younger kids that don't. So it's the kindergarten and the first graders that are the Roman guard because they can't speak. So you put the first grade, two little, three little boys with their sword, and they are the Roman guard. Now, the fifth and sixth graders, they can remember some lines, so they're in the speaking part. So in our mind, a Roman guard is three first grade boys, except that's not what a Roman guard was. A Roman guard was between 16 and 21 men, the baddest of the baddest of the baddest in the army, like the Green Berets, the, the, the toughest toughest hand-to-hand combat fighting men at that time in the world and between 16 and 21 of them were assigned to guard that tomb on top of that the roman seal was affixed to that tomb so if that roman seal was broken those guards would pay with their life now You you mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that the disciples went out there and stole that body and fabricated a lie? Okay, well, hold on. Now, let's go back in our mind. All the disciples broke and ran. Peter kind of followed along outside. A little young girl, weren't you with him? No, no, I'm not. I'm out of here. Now, Peter walked into the Roman guard, broke that seal, and took that body? You got to tell that story to somebody else. Because I I just, I, I can't go for that. Chapter 28, verse 11. As women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called. They decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. Uh, Excuse me, I got a couple of questions about this. If the governor hears about it, we're going to stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted their bribe, and they said what they were told to say, and their story spread widely through the Jews, and they still feel it today. You've got 16 of the meanest men that have ever walked the face of the earth guarding a seal on the tomb, and they dozed off? All of them at the same time took a nap? I mean, well, are, there's, come on. You've you got to be kidding me. Chapter 28, verse 1, early on a Sunday morning. Early on Sunday morning, as a new day was dawning. Maybe some of you grew up in a church that on Easter, y'all had an Easter sunrise service, like out, and you went out there before daylight, and, and the Easter service was at daylight. This is where it comes from. 
Why, Tim, why do we have church on Sunday and not on Saturday? You know, all through the Bible, we're supposed to worship on Saturday. It was the seventh day, the last day of the week that God rested. That's true under the Old Covenant. We worship on Sunday morning because of chapter 28, verse 1. We are now living life under a new covenant. We're not under the Old Covenant anymore. We're under a new covenant, and a change took place from worshiping on Saturday to worshiping on Sunday morning because now we are living life under a new covenant. That's the celebration of the events of this week. It's just not done anymore. Easter Sunday's just kind of another Sunday to go to church, but it was a big deal when I grew up. How many of you never went to church on an Easter Sunday that you weren't wearing a new outfit? Some how many Come on, raise your hand. I mean, you didn't go to you had a new outfit on and every kid every little kid was dressed in new clothes on Easter why do you have to have new clothes to go on Easter Sunday morning because it's a new covenant see it's a new covenant that we're living we were celebrating a new covenant why are we hunting Easter eggs because we're finding new life See, it's a new life. It's a new covenant. We're no longer going to the uh, temple on the Sabbath, on the last day of the week, but we're going to church on the first day of the week, life under a new covenant, and we have on new clothes because that's our way of celebrating a life under a new covenant. And after church is over, we're going to hunt Easter eggs because we're celebrating the finding of new life in the new covenant. I know this morning has been not really a Sunday morning sermon, but it's been a history lesson, and now I've given you homework as we printed out this handout and this outline for you to study this week. Parents, I want you to make this a big deal. I want your kids knowing every day of the week. I want all of our school teachers in here, I want you making this a big deal. I want our young people knowing every day of this week what happens leading up to when we come in here next Sunday morning, we're going to have an awareness of what we're here celebrating. We are being taught in this day and time that all religions are the same. Who are you to say that you have the only religion? Who are you to say that you have the only way to God? Well, first of all, it's not me saying that. Is Jesus that said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So first of all, I'm not the one saying that. Second of all, there's no other religion that does for me what Jesus did. This history lesson. We're going to come in here now after this week of studying history next week to enter into a place of praise and celebrate the fact that all mankind, and me particularly, owed a price for sin. I could not pay that. And because of that sin, I was separated from God. God didn't live inside me. I couldn't talk to God. I didn't walk with God. I didn't hear God's voice talking to me because I was a sinner. I couldn't be in his presence. But he tore from top to bottom, not bottom to top, from top to bottom. He tore the veil of that temple that separated his presence from me. And here's what I want you to know. That veil was not torn by sitting cross-legged in the sun humming. Mm. Here's what I want you to know. 
that veil was not torn by you being reincarnated as a cow or a bug. That veil was not torn by you flying an airplane into a building. That veil was not torn by you bombing innocent people in the Boston Marathon. That veil was not torn by you strapping your own nine-year-old daughter with bombs under her little dress, sending her into a mall and punching the button. That veil, access to God, was not done by that. So don't tell me all religions are basically the same. Jesus is the only one, the only way that tore that veil. And he allows you and I to be forgiven of our sin, to be washed clean from our sin, and given you and I a brand new start in life where now we can boldly enter into the presence of God. And that begins with a celebration of today, Palm Sunday, Jesus' ride into Jerusalem. What a powerful week we are entering as we celebrate all week long the historical event that changed the world. Y'all stand. Lord, we're just, we're in awe and we're grateful that we have not received in life what we are deserving. Thank you for not judging us. Thank you for not condemning us. And thank you for not giving us what we deserve. Thank you for forgiving us, washing us clean, setting us free. Thank you, Lord, for tearing that veil that separated you from me. And Lord, today I walk boldly into your presence and have communion, fellowship, and a relationship with you all because of the events of this holy week. We celebrate you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great holy week. Thank you for listening to the CMC podcast. If you'd like to watch our sermons live or looking for more information about our church, visit cmcchurch.com or follow us on Facebook at Christian Ministries Church.